0: My name is Michelle Yuna chan The Wandering Book Collector, and this is my podcast, conversations with writers exploring what's informed their books and their lives around themes of movement, memory, sense of place, borders, identity, belonging, and home. The Wandering Book Collector podcast is supported by Abercrombie & Kent, Me, and Ultimate Library. I'm joined by the writer Rebecca Mead, whose latest book has just been published, Home. Land, a memoir of departure and return. Homeland is written with a forward slash between those two words, reflecting the dislocation, perhaps, between one's home and one's homeland, perhaps also the rub. Rebecca writes about her personal to and fro, leaving London, the place of her birth, her childhood home in England, and then a move to New York, and then 30 years later, returning to London, this time with her husband and son. Rebecca, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. First off, Rebecca, where are you now? I'm in London. Uh, I'm in North London, in my home, sitting at my desk. I have a window to my left, a window to my right, a little bit of sky above. <laughs> and uh,
0: I just called you because you just called it home, by the way.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Is London home now, or is it a home?
1: What a good question. I mean, it. it, it I don't really know. I mean, I, I think you know. My home, the house I'm sitting in, um, where I do my work, where my family lives, that has to be what I will call home for now. Um, But I don't quite feel um, that London is my home although I was born here and I'm British and um, so I guess I can sort of claim uh, London in some sense, but but I don't actually feel I have any right to claim London as mine for sure. Um, And then New York, where I spent 30 years of my life, you know, virtually all of my adult life, but, you know, the majority of my career um, was my home forever. And and certainly while I was writing this book, um, I felt still very attached to the idea of New York as my lost home, the home I'd found and then given up, Um, you know, some time has passed and so, since I finished writing the book. And so I guess I'm rethinking and remaking what my home is currently. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's here with my family.
0: I mean, I'm not wanting to give away anything in terms of your age, but I'm wondering for more time <laughs> in New York and than in London as your name. Yeah, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've spent a lot longer in New York than I have anywhere else. I moved to New York when I was 21 and spent 30 years there. Um, so you can sort of guess, you sort of more or less figure out how old I am from that, can't you?
0: Well, just on volume, I mean, it's not always on volume. Sometimes you you find a place and you spend six months and you think, I found my place. But um, if you are doing it in this very reductive way on, on numbers of years, yeah, you have given a lot to that city across the Atlantic.
1: Oh, well, it's given a lot to me too. I mean, I wouldn't, I would never think of it I would not think of characterizing it the way that you just did that I I gave a lot to it I mean I it gave me so much it gave me so many opportunities and so much um freedom and uh and change and difference and uh, and an opportunity to have a you know a a career that I don't think I would have had uh the same in the same way in the UK would have been different certainly and would have been more difficult in some senses um but it also gave me you know, a huge amount of mental space and freedom to, um, you know, to make myself over as something other than, you know, an English person growing up with, cert- with a certain identity here in the UK and a certain path that was, uh, you know, that, that felt a bit predictable perhaps.
0: Because although you were born in London, as you said, you grew up in Weymouth, which is a provincial English seaside town, very different to Manhattan, of course. Do you think it was that backdrop in part which kind of gave you the total unpreparedness for a city like New York? In a way, that's why you fell for it so hard.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's, yeah, that could be part of it. I mean, I grew up, yes, as you say, in a a provincial seaside town, very, very much a backwater. I mean, literally a backwater. Um, And... And I, but I, my parents had moved there from London when I was three years old. And so part of me always felt that that was my part of my story was that I was a displaced Londoner that I'd been, you know, disinherited of my, of my um, birthright as a Londoner or, or something. I mean, that was, that was sort of a child, a childhood of maybe adolescent fantasy that I had that was a very important way. I think of kind of, I don't know, maintaining a distance from the place that I grew up in and was from so many of the people I grew up around had been in that place for generations. You know, they had names like stone because their ancestors, you know, quarried stone on port on the Isle of Portland. And that wasn't, um, you know, I, I didn't really feel part of part of that world. And I always knew I would leave. I mean, you know, I always knew I would leave because I wanted to go away to university and there was nowhere you know there was certainly nowhere to go nearby and there would have been no I always knew that I would leave and also I knew that I would not return because there was nothing that I would want to do you know there was no I there was no career that I could see for me there um you know it it, it it's a very it, you know it's a it's a it's a bucket and spade uh English town and and I wanted a life of culture whatever that meant you know I didn't really know what that meant but I knew I wanted that
0: well you left as you say age 21 and went to New York and and you didn't write a book going that way you know on that journey going (laughs) (laughs) so there must have been less to unpackage you had a very different oh, story. no, 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 no. There was just, I
1: mean, there there might have been just as much or just as little, but I certainly wouldn't have had the confidence. I mean, I, I didn't have anything. I mean, I barely have the confidence now to write a memoir and, you know, after 30 years as a writer. So I don't, you know, I certainly wouldn't have. I mean, I'm so admiring of, of people in their 20s who are somehow... Formed in, well enough formed to be able to both be having their experience and reflect back on it at the same time and have the confidence to um you know believe that their voice is worth airing and and that people might listen to it i'm i i mean it, it's it's staggering to me when i come across people like that um but i was not one of them i was an observer you know i i i went and became a reporter and um uh you know, and and I mean, sort of work my way up to becoming to, to being a reporter, working in magazines. And what I liked was listening to people and asking people questions and watching people. And it wasn't, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't my story. It was somebody else's story was of interest to me.
0: Yeah. Until now, until you decided to write a memoir about the journey in the other direction.
1: Yeah. Well, there was, you know, it was a very momentous decision that my family and i my husband and i made to leave new york and to leave the united states after you know he's american and i'm i i am also now american i became an american citizen about 10 years ago and um you know it's a very it's a very big deal to move it's much less of a big deal to move at 21 than it is to move in your early 50s and so um and there was so much about the return to the to england um, that was uh, interesting to me, and that I wanted to capture before it all evaporated. The newness and the strangeness of being reimmersed in something that I was also bound up with historically and had some kind of sense memory of. I mean, I used to when when I first got back to London. Just the sound of my footsteps on the streets, on the paving stones, is so different from the sounds of one's footsteps on the sidewalks of new york city but there's something in that sound the of the the damp english pavement um that takes me back to um you know being a very very small child and uh and and also takes me back to my family history and and one of the things i discovered when i moved here is that i had really without thinking about it moved back to the part of london or very close to the part of london where my father had lived as a very small child and where his parents had grown up and so um you know I felt like I was walking these streets with you know in some ways like the ghost of myself and the self that I that I might have been if I had stayed in England and lived the life here um it was like picking up a thread of something that I had dropped and 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 also then you know walking in the footsteps of of my you know, relatively recent ancestors whose lives I didn't know very much about and who had very, very ordinary lives. But um, it all sort of came to life for me when I got back here.
0: Yeah, amazing how it's all captured in a, the sound of wet shoes on wet pavement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a London sound, for sure. It certainly is. Before you left, I um, before you left New York and you kind of had this, these kind of restless urges setting in and and you write that the idea of roaming farther lay on the border between fantasy and real possibility so at the beginning of your of your imaginings that you might do this um, did it feel kind of out of reach at the start and then it kind of formed into something much more solid or, or did you feel quite determined that this was going to be something you were going to do eventually at some point?
1: it really no I didn't feel determined that I was going to do it and I certainly didn't feel determined that I was going to re- return to the UK I mean I do know people who've sort of especially British couples or couples who move moved there together who you know we're going to spend 10 years here or 15 years here but then we're going to go home for the kids at a certain point in their education or something like that you know that it's a discrete period of time um you know a holiday away from the rest of, from one's ordinary life in a sense um, and i'd never felt that and i and i'd i'd really you know sort of staked a claim uh and and, and territory in new york and, and an identity there uh, as a new yorker and um and i'd never planned or hoped or uh imagined quite coming back at least not coherently um but when enough factors came together sort of practically and emotionally in my life and my husband's life, um, I guess there were, there were, um, there were things that I had buried deep about wanting, for example, for my son to feel some sense of ownership of the UK, uh, or some sense of belonging, some sense of it being something other than just, um, a place that he would go to visit his grandma that he really liked. Um, You know, to really give him uh, a a sense of his sort of dual nationality and to be able, for him to feel comfortable in both places became an important motivating factor for me. I mean, my son is completely American. He sounds American. He identifies as American, Um, but he also, I think, identifies as a Londoner now
0: in the book you did talk about this idea that perhaps just moving house would have relieved the <laughs> yeah it didn't need to necessarily be a emigration it could have been down the road but but the question that, it, that it seemed to come up several times in the book was on whether to continue or not with what you had built on on whether the desire was still there to to continue what you had constructed together as a family?
1: Yeah. Well, I think there was also a sense, you know, things had things had changed. And um we decided to leave, really, really started to take it seriously at the end of 2017. And it was in many ways, not exclusively, but partly precipitated by the election in the United States in 2016, and the sense that um there were things afoot in the country that were very, very difficult to deal with and tolerate and some people's response to that of course is to become an activist and try to change the world and i'm not that and my job is not to change the world so much as it is to try to describe it and um and so i do that through journalism and and books and and the rest of it um but you know so that was so so that election was a, a was a nudge but um you know there were there were other things going on too, and there was also that sense of sort of not wanting the change to happen to me uh, in ways that I couldn't control. Of course, control is a fallacy, but uh, fantasy. But um, to act, not just to react. Um, you know, it, 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 as I say, it, it's had been thirty years, and you know you sort of get to that point in your life, and you say, well, maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, I've got another thirty. And do I want to spend that next 30 just doing the same thing that I've been doing in the same place that I've been doing it, getting sort of grumpier and grumpier at the like young old, loud young people down the street who are playing music in their backyard? Or do I want to do something different? And I had made, you know, when when I was 21 and I moved from, you know, provincial England to New York City, having never been to America before, not really knowing anything about what it was, um it was this massive leap I always felt like it was like you know I'd been a fish and I'd crawled out and become an amphibian I mean it was just like it was that huge a move and I didn't want to just spend the rest of my life just like lying on the edge of the river on the mud you know just like panting having just learned how to breathe air I wanted to like I don't know what to extend extend the metal grow legs you know grow grow wings become a become a mammal I don't know um so I wanted to evolve further.
0: Yeah, I picked that up. I, I picked up the line we chose to rock our own foundations, which was the one that really stuck with me because rather than having the upheaval brought upon yourselves. And yeah, yeah. But you described the movement, and I found this a bit contradictory at times. You found you described the movement as a kind of freedom. And then I wasn't convinced necessarily by this sense of liberation because you also wrote about how this the overwhelming sense of of you know all the the pain and anxiety and upheaval of moving countries in midlife.
1: I mean, I think it's both, but, you know, what's liberation? Liberation is liberation from your responsibilities, isn't it? But your responsibilities, you know, I I mean, I've still got my three beloved stepsons in America. I'm not free of them. I left them. I mean, that's terrible. You know, that's a that's a, a real loss uh, and and in some ways a vi- a violent thing to have done. Um, so it's not, um, you know, it, I mean, one can't be kind of just carefree about, about it. It's a weighty decision. Either way, it's a weighty decision with weighty implications. I mean, th- by giving my son this, you know, allowing him or creating a world in which he can in really inhabit both sides of his dual nationality, I've also... Surely created a world in which it's entirely possible that he'll end up in one country and I'll be in another, and I'll be divided by him from an ocean, just as my parents were divided from me by an ocean for decades and decades, and that would make me very sad. But um, I've I've set it up this way, you know. Well, maybe it's irrational, but we're not terribly rational rational beings, are we?
0: So the next stop wasn't automatically after New wasn't automatically London. I, I knew you wrote that you considered Trieste. Yeah. is <laughs> in all our imaginations because of James Joyce, but also Jan Morris, yeah. um, whose book is called is Trieste and the Meaning of Nowhere. Yeah.
1: I just was back there a couple of weeks ago, actually. My husband and I went and had another little visit to Trieste. We and still... did, you get,
0: did you get the itch to move again?
1: Still, I, it always gives me a little bit, you know, because of what it represents. It, I mean, it, it, you know, it is a city of exile. It has that kind of romantic history, but you know, it's also, uh, it's also a kind of a great place. And um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I can't really actually imagine it, but I, I do go back.
0: I'm going to share this, which is quite personal, but I sometimes feel when I go back because I move around a lot too, and I sometimes feel when I go back somewhere that I've been. To go and live there again, ridiculously, I, I sometimes feel like it's a, it's a bit of failure because I'm kind of going back to where I've been, and I'm and I'm going back to the same pub, and I'm going back to the same wet pavement that I'm then stomping. Yeah, yeah. On. And it's absurd, but but I wondered if you know what I mean.
1: Well, yes, I do, but I don't feel the slightest sense of that in returning to London, because it's because for me, London is a new city. It's not coming back. You know, I never went to the pub. I was three years old when I left here. So I you know, it's it's only coming back to an Im- imagined London, not not one that I actually knew. So it's all very new and exciting. And I I mean, it's really exciting to have a pub down the street, too. That's something that, you know, you don't have that in New York. It's like the pub. How great. How great. Um so i don't i don't feel uh i don't feel that that sense of failure i wonder if i would feel it if i moved back to new york whether that would feel like oh i tried to um i tried to leave and couldn't and came back but i i, I don't know i i know what you mean i do know what you mean and i i've w- observed it in friends but moving to london was i mean i know i sound like i'm british i'm sound, sound like i'm completely british and i'm from london and all the rest of it but it, it was a really, and remains, a, a new and strange and thrilling place. So um, I I just, I, I'm like a, you know, I'm an American in disguise as a British person, so
0: living in a new city. Maybe if you'd move back to Weymouth.
1: Yeah, well, that
0: would be not failure, but it would be something else entirely. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we touched on this before I pressed the record button, but we can't overlook this time in history when millions of refugees are fleeing their homes with a plastic bag with everything that they can put inside it inside it and uncertain that they'll ever go back and I, I you're know, coming out with the book now which you obviously finished a few years ago and described a moment in history which was before um the displacement that's happening in in Ukraine. Yeah. I, I wonder how that backdrop feels um for you when those themes of dislocation and belonging are going on in such a different way
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I finished the book uh, a little over a year ago. So and it's written about an experience that happened, you know, three or four years ago. So, so yeah, I mean, I recognize that, you know, even before the current refugee crisis, you know, there was a refugee crisis before that, and there was a refugee crisis before that. And that, and I was aware when I was moving, let alone writing, that I'm, you know, unbelievably privileged to have the choice of countries to move in. I'm, you know, unbelievably fortunate to have more than one passport, although, you know, having been deprived of my EU citizenship, I feel that there's, there's some small sense of loss there too. It's not, it's not a small sense of loss, but, but those of us who are British, who were European and are no longer have been deprived of a certain kind of freedom of movement too. Um, but yeah, so you know, this is a book about voluntary exile. It's not a book about fleeing a war. It's not a book about fleeing a a, a, a repressive regime. Even you know, with uh, Donald Trump having been elected as president, of course, it's not that. It's a personal story of a translation between two countries. And and I and when I when I was writing it, I you know there was this stimulus of the election of two thousand sixteen, but I didn't write a huge amount about the political environment in the States. And I certainly didn't write a huge amount about the political environment here in the UK. That would have been a very, very different kind of book. And I didn't want to write about day-to-day politics. Uh, and that includes, you know, the world really beyond beyond that, that immediate dynamic. It, it was an exploration of something quite different.
0: I, I was taken also by a line, Rebecca, which was how when you arrived in New York, it was a very clear date for you. And then when you migrated back to the UK, it was much more, your words, more smudged and imprecise. What is it about the stretching and pulling and pushing of time, these are your words, that can be sometimes so sharp and sometimes so wishy-washy? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, you know, there's there's the literal fact that when you leave New York to return to London, you leave, most of the time, you fly at night. So you leave on one day, and you arrive the next day, and you somewhere have crossed over um, the timeline and you're probably not aware of it. Um, And that seemed to me to be a metaphor, you know, a revealing metaphor for my experience of leaving, you know, not really knowing, I mean, what date did I leave? Was it the date that I left? Was it the date that I arrived? What happened in the middle? You know, what happened in that six hours or whatever, whatever it was in the air where I, stopped being a resident of one country and started being a resident of the other, um, you know, it just very, it feels very suggestive to me. Um, I mean, I was in a very heightened emotional state, obviously, doing this, you know, leaving behind the life that I had made and um, giving up my home and going and starting a new life with not knowing where we were going to live, you know, what we were going to do. Um, it, You know, it was a very, very... Yeah, just a very energetic, emotionally energetic uh, moment. Um, whereas, I mean, my, my my the date that I arrived in New York is a date that I remember like my birthday um, because it was, you know, it's a it's a it's a landmark moment. Um, this was something much more um, a, 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 a gradual separation. I mean, a, a you know a, a gradual. Uh, transformation and a, and a changing sense of self, I mean, for months and months and maybe even still, you know, I I could not talk to somebody, introduce myself at a party or something without explaining, you know, well, I'm not, I haven't been here for the last 30 years, you know, I'm something different from what I look like, you know, uh, or what I sound like, um, because it was so uh, fundamental and remains so fundamental to my, to my being. Um, I don't know what it would be like to have just been a, a person who stayed here. It's so unfathomable to me. One of the things that was so liberating about leaving the UK was the sense that the, the you know the impressions that I gave, the ways in which people could, you know read who I was and assume who I was because of the way that I spoke, um, because of the accent that I had, because of the way that I dress, maybe because of the way that I present myself, or, you know, that that all those registers in the UK are so legible. And, you know, moving to New York, nobody could tell anything about me other than that I was English. And that was re- that's like all that anybody could see. And they couldn't sort of do that kind of x-ray evaluation of me. So like, aha, uh-huh, where did you go to school? Okay, where did you you know, what kind of background do you come from? Um, and that was like immensely, immensely liberating to be away from.
0: But also in New York, you know, you're quite intriguing. I mean, I know there's lots of British people in New York. <laughs> but, <laughs> but nevertheless, you're, you're, it's, you're slightly more intriguing, whereas um, you're not intriguing as a British, you know, accented person in London. Yeah, that's true. I love the term erratic, which somehow you get into your book. The etymology, as you point out, is errare or to stray or to wander. And it's this rock that you sometimes see a lot in Scotland with these deposits left by retreating glaciers. I mean, it's in the book for a reason, not just because we both obviously liked it in our geography lessons, but um, is that how you feel, this kind of wanderer or stray, or or am I jumping to conclusions by trying to join the dots? No,
1: no, I mean, no, I don't think you are. I mean, I think... Um, I mean, I my job requires me to uh, as a writer for the New Yorker requires me to travel relatively frequently not all the time thank goodness but pretty frequently and you know throughout the pandemic I was not able to like everybody not able to go anywhere or move move at all um and thank heavens I'm now back to it again and um you know and I like uh You know, obviously I like to go to different places and talk to different people and see different things. But I also like as a writer that sense of being, um, you know, somewhat on the outside looking in and somehow by making myself into an American uh, to, you know, in the kind of peculiar way that I have, I've enabled myself to come back to the UK and be an outsider here as well. Um, even though i'm british and and that is a uh I, I that's how i feel at home let's say i feel most at home um when i'm not when i'm an outsider to the place that i'm in it's constitutionally i just i just like not feeling quite comfortable where i am mm-hmm. um so then yes i think the answer to the you know errare wandering question is that yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, I mean, and that maybe it's, it's that one doesn't even have to be moving all the time to feel that sense of, uh, of, I don't know, of being a weird boulder, just like washed up on the shore somewhere, you know, that, that that's, that's who, that's, that's who you are. That's what you are inside. It's not just a function of, Getting on a plane and going somewhere different—it's
0: an ongoing theme on the Wandering Book Collector—and yeah. this sense of people feeling happiest and most at home when they're far from home, or you know, feeling like a stranger. It's um, one of um, the highlights of the book for me was was I first came to it actually in the New Yorker. Um, your story on multicultural London English, this dialect that draws together so many different. Um, kind of origins of language. This extraordinary mix of Somali accents and Romanian accents and Brooklyn accents. I guess um, communicating with each other and understanding each other. I I don't sense, um, Rebecca, your accent has changed. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I wonder. Um, but you you said in the book that um, that your son is adopting it, maybe just to be understood.
1: Yeah, I I mean I don't think his act, his accent's changed a bit. I mean inevitably it, there are little words here and there that he sounds like. He he'll say something. He'll say, oh, that sounds a bit English, but he basically still sounds like an American, I think. But he does say, you know, I'm going shop rather than I'm going to the shop, <laughs> um, or you know, we're going Camden, you know, um, the, these these kinds of phrases. And he does it, you know. I think now he does it just because that's how they all talk. But I know at the beginning, um, when he first got to this school and was surrounded by all these british kids he would come home and he'd bring these words home and sort of and i would i there was there was it was a new language to me i'd never really heard it and you know in going back and and you know if you go back and listen to recordings of londoners speaking even 30 years ago it sounds quite different it really has changed this this you know this this multicultural london english which has been studied in such interesting ways i think by linguists and um So yeah, so so I found it. I mean, you know, one doesn't want to like sentimentalize children and how wonderful they're like our future, and you know, they're all coming together and you know, in ways that our generations have not been able to. It's it's you know, that's that's not what's happening. But there is something really fantastically beautiful and suggestive and encouraging and optimistic about the idea that these very small children in classrooms who have you know, 30, 40 kids in the room, and they all speak, they all come, you know, many of them speak different, many different languages at home, and they find a common ground, and they don't just assimilate to, uh, you know, dominant, um, UK, you know, receive pronunciation English or whatever, and they don't, they also don't just assimilate to one group within that, within that, that number, they build it themselves, and they build it at a very, very young age, and, um, you know, I, I love, I love it. I, I, I eavesdrop on the bus to t- teenagers all the time. I love listening to them because it, it's so, you know, I mean, it's not just like the, you know, the, like vampiric, uh, power, you know, the strength that one pulls from the young, but the, but just, the, just the kind of the, the, the idea that there's something new that's being made by young people and that that is about bringing together rather than pulling apart and going into tribes but all being together all being Londoners I find that really um uh, yeah I, I I I I it makes me happy
0: yeah fascinating and um and I know that because you vehemently say so in the book I know that you were not trying to um cultivate this son your son to be a Young English gentleman. It was. Instead, you have this love child, lovely. <laughs> um, and this is what you wrote. You said, "A sense of displacement is so constitutional to my own being that I seem to have been compelled to make it my son's inheritance. I've given him this questionable gift, a lost place to long for." And so, the gift when really he wasn't kind of perhaps feeling comfortable in the UK, which perhaps is part of it, as you said. But it's also having a longing for a place you no longer have.
1: Yeah, or or a longing, uh, yeah, and also a longing to go beyond and to be elsewhere and to have, you know, to not think that the place that you're in is the center of the world and that there's nothing beyond it and that everybody who does something different from the way that you do it is weird or strange or that you're the norm from which everything else deviates. I mean, my, it was so, you know, my own upbringing in this provincial seaside town, knowing that I was going to leave and knowing that I would not come back was so central to the formation of my character. You know, I would observe this in New York of kids who grew up in New York and never really left and always thought that it was the center of the world and always thought that they were kind of right and everybody else would come round to their way eventually and there's there's a huge value in not being um you know in in not 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 thinking that you know not being the dominant voice or the dominant um not holding the dominant position and you know so there's something uncomfortable of course for you know, in me bringing my American son to the UK and he has to learn how to make himself understood. And it's embarrassing when he asks for water and nobody knows what, what that he wants water. And, you know, it's difficult in some ways. Um, you know, it's sort of gnarly and tough, but um, those are, you know, I mean, that's a trivial example, not being understood, but it's also not a trivial example. Um, you know, you you because we all want to be understood. Um, so that that idea of of giving him um giving him giving him a longing for something else or somewhere else. um you know it's it's I recognize that the reason I called it a questionable gift, I recognize that there's a kind of perversity in not just wanting to make him feel at home in his home. um but what can I say? That was my instinct, my perverse maternal instinct.
0: I have to ask you um, if you think Rekhi will ever go back again to and throwing.
1: I don't, I don't know, you know, I mean, because who knows, you know, who, who knows what the world holds? It's very, and I could not have anticipated that in moving to the UK, I would not be able to go back to the United States for, you know, a very long time because of COVID. I mean, you know, I imagined, you know, I told myself when I was leaving that, I'll be back and forth, forwards all the time, just as I had been backwards and forwards to the UK from New York. And it's not really leaving. And I'll be back every few months. And I'm not really saying goodbye. And then, you know, I had a period of more than two years where I couldn't go back or didn't go back. Um, I mean, having an American passport, I could go back, but um, but I didn't go back for a very long period during COVID. And, uh, you know, who would have, who <laughs> would have, guessed it so i don't know you know um i i am glad to be i am very glad to be an american citizen i'm very um and not just because oh it's convenient to have another passport but because um it 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 feels very central to who i am and again during covid the idea that i might have not been allowed to go back and that would have seemed absurd to me for given that how much of my life i had spent there. it's part of the reason why I became an American citizen, so that I could leave and go back, and it would still always, um, it it would still be mine, because I I so much of of who I am was made there. Um, but I don't know whether I, you know, in answer to your question, I I don't know. There are no immediate plans, um, but you know,
0: plans well, or are... else, Rebecca. I mean, I you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, like, was it so? I like, think there was also, as you know, as you've said, there was a trauma. To the move um, and a violent, I think, as you put it, but that might not necessarily put you off going somewhere.
1: If I'm lucky enough to live long enough, I hope that there will be more iterations of this, you know, traumatic move that I've undergone, um, put myself through, and and
0: new new adventures. That's better. Let's call them new adventures. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca Mead, thank you for joining me on the Wandering Book Collector.
1: A great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And my thanks to the supporters of this podcast, Abercrombie and Kent, to me and Ultimate Library. Goodbye.